Well, good morning. Uh, if you do have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and every now and then, we, uh, we, we dip into a sermon series uh, that we've been doing every now and then called uh, This Kind of Church. This Kind of Church. And we're, we're still a young church. We've been around for a little over three years Right now, and one of the things we, we found to be very important is, is to every now and then teach into what we want Grace City Church to be like. You know, I, I'm, I'm asked occasionally, um, what, what kind of church is Grace City Church? I think that is an excellent question. In, in fact, perhaps you are new here this morning. In fact, I've met bunch of new people, first time ever at Grace City Church. That, that question's probably going through your mind even right now. What kind of church is Grace City Church? And I, and I think our answer to what we think church should be, what church should be like, what it is and what it isn't, is, is probably actually pretty much defined by what we understand by that word church, what we think that church means. And I want to answer this question of what is the church? What is a church? By going to uh, the, the Bible and to read what it is that, um, I mean, just in Acts chapter 2, that's what this, this series that we've been going at has been kind of delving into. It, it contains this story of how the church gets born. And when we read Acts chapter 2, we read things like and they devoted, this is the, the early Christians, the very first Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common." Now that, that is, the, that is the sort of church I want to be a part of. And as Grace City Church gets more established, the, the vision of the church that we see in, in, in the Bible, you've got to hear this this morning, this is our aspiration. This is where, by, by God's grace, this is where we will end up. And yet, if we are going to have any hope of getting anywhere near what it is that we see in the, in the Bible, we need to have a good understanding of what this word, church, actually means. And in my experience in Canada in the, in the last few years is that there are few kind of religious words that are as misunderstood as the word church. There are a few words that seem to bring as much confusion. Now, what is the church? What isn't the church? I mean, just let me give you a couple of examples of this sort of confusion, right? So last year, um, it's a, you know, on, a, on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning service, right? I'm, I'm just doing my thing. At the end of the service, I'm looking around, who's new? Who can I go and say hello to? And I go and speak to this young guy. He must be like 18, 19 
And I say, hey, how, how are you doing? And, and he, um, he sees me coming. I, I must have been doing something on the platform that morning because he, he, he clocked that I was a leadery type. And so he said, hi, listen, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed being at church this morning, nice singing, but I've got to let you know um, church is not for me, really. I just want you to know, like, I, um, I became a Christian earlier this year, and I just feel like right now church will be a distraction to me. To, to what I'm, ha- I, you know, me and Jesus, I just feel like um, th- this church thing would be a bit of a hindrance in that relationship. Now, what I said to him, well, I'm actually not going to tell you exactly what I said to him. I just said a couple of sentences that um, kind of encapsulated what I, what I think the church is, um, and they provoked a kind of res- a response that very much went kind of like, as if I had said something both um, weird and a, a little bit offensive, right? Just as if I had, I had said, so I, I ate a swan for breakfast. <laughs> what? So weird, a little bit offensive. So look forward to that. I mean, unsurprisingly, he did not come back. Okay, so one week later, this is the following Sunday, I am... In a conversation with this guy, this chap was not young at all. He must have been in his 60s, big bushy white beard. Um, And I'm chatting with him and Natalia, some of you will know Natalia. She was also in this conversation. Natalia asked a a totally normal question, right? Totally normal question. Um, So are you you interested in coming along to this church? Or is there uh, another church in town that you're a part of? Normal question, right? And this man says, looks at us both. And says, I am a church. (laughs) Now, what he meant by that, I couldn't possibly tell you. (laughs) I've got no idea. But, I mean, I I don't really know if he could either. But do you you see that there's two radically different views of church? One from someone who's very young and one from someone who's quite a bit older. And one is saying, you know what, church is unimportant. It's, It's a distraction. It's a hindrance. You know what, church is actually bad. And the other person is saying, oh, actually, church is pretty much whatever you want. What do you want church to be? That can be what church is. You can be a church. I can be a church. Dog can be a church. Anything can be a church. Who's to say? Who's to say what a church is and what a church isn't? Well, I think the answer is the one who gets to say that is the one who establishes the church in the first place. The one who upholds the church and sustains the church and the one to whom the church belongs. And so, let us turn and read God's word and see what he says the church is. And we're going to read from the end of Ephesians chapter 2. And the, the letter to the, the church, the, the Greek church in Ephesus, um, is one that, that Paul, he's been writing of all the things, all the things that are true of the Christian, of the one who is uh, becomes a Christian and becomes in Christ. And he says things like, you, you, were, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sin. Before, before coming to Jesus, you were a spiritual corpse. But God 
has been so merciful and so has loved us in Jesus that when we believe in him, we become united with him and we become as alive as our resurrected Savior is. And he says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And what's the result of this? Well, let us read from verse 19. So then, therefore... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When I, sometimes when I listen uh, to Christians kind of articulate, the, if you like, the arc, the, the story of the Christian life of salvation, sometimes it gets articulated like this, right? So at the start, before you know God, you're a sinner, Okay, But then you believe in Jesus and all your sins are washed away. Hooray. And, and, you know, you, you've, you've got your forgiveness. Okay, You have got your, um, your get out of jail uh, or get out of hell free ticket. You are good to go. And what you do from now on really is up to you. Okay, it's up to you. Maybe, maybe what you do is you look around and you see um, some other people who individually also have their own salvation, who, who also individually are good with God. And maybe you go, well, I guess we've got this in common. Maybe we can get together, maybe sing some songs once a week on a Sunday. Maybe that's what you do. Or maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, do it if, it, if it's something that you, you, you like, or, but it, it's, it's not really, you know, it's, it's very detached. It's, very, it's like an optional extra to all of that saved by grace through faith stuff. As a result, for many people, the church can kind of be a bit of an afterthought, an optional extra. If it works for you, you know, if it works, if it fits with your schedule and what you've got going on, if you enjoy it, fine. But I just, from what I've just read, the end of Ephesians 2, I just get the idea that Paul would be horrified, horrified at the idea that you can detach this powerful, saving, joyous gospel message from the very thing it creates. I want to say you cannot be faithful to the gospel message of Jesus Christ without talking about what it is that the gospel creates. Paul says to these these Greek Christians in Ephesus, before God did this spiritual thing, you, you were strangers, right? You were aliens. Get, get Star Wars out of your mind for a moment. What it means is that you, you, were, you were a foreigner of God. You, you were far away. You, you were not of him. You were apart from him. You did not belong to him. And that is what our sin, that is what our inner darkness meant for us. 
But, but Paul, Paul says that now that you have been saved, now that you are in Christ, what? You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. One of, the, one of the fundamental things that happens when you are saved, when you become in Christ, is that you are united with all of these other Christians, these other saints, the ones who once were foreigners to God as well, but now are also, they are now fellow citizens in this spiritual nation. They are also family members in the household of God. And the ramifications of this are huge. It is not the case that the gospel creates a bunch of little autonomous, disconnected little Christians running around, connected to God, but in no meaningful way connected to one another. Nope. The gospel creates a people, a spiritual nation, a family. If you are this morning united to Jesus, then you are also united, whether you want to be or not, with everyone else who is in Jesus. Which might be quite a concern in thought to some of us. We might look around and go, oh, these people I'm sat next to, I thought we were just sitting next to one. You, you're saying that I am spiritually united. I don't want to be spiritually united with these people. Some of you are looking around and going, these, some of these people are weird. They don't, I mean, that person over there, they're weird. They don't even work for the federal government. <laughs> and you know what? That person is looking at you and going, that person works for the federal government. Can you imagine anyone more boring? <laughs> so dull, they'll bore me to death. None of this is what I'm thinking, of course. This is, I'm just saying what's going on here, okay? As a spiritual family. See, if, if we are to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which creates the church, and then the church, even if it has weird people, even if it has boring people in it, cannot be an afterthought. It cannot be an optional extra. You know, there, there were kind of two levels of church. Follow me. Walk with me on this one. In one sense, there, there's the big global church of the saints all around the world, right? So earlier today, we were, we were just praying for the, for the Christians in Christ Church, New Zealand, right? Those are our Christian brothers and sisters out there. Many, many churches around the world. You know, okay, so how about this? Many churches in Ottawa... And around the world will stand together and they will say uh, what's known as the Apostles' Creed, uh, a, a set, of, set of beliefs. beliefs that if you don't know, like, what's the Apostles' Creed? Never heard of that. Doesn't matter. Well, we sung it this morning, okay? We stood and we sung the Apostles' Creed together. And what were we singing? In the same breath as singing, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. In the same breath as saying that magisterial Trinitarian statement of truth, we are also singing, I believe in the saints' communion. I believe in your holy church. If God's people are a family, then we have this massive, global, multicolored, big old extended family. Other Protestant churches 
Anglican churches, Roman Catholic churches, Eastern Orthodox churches, Coptic churches, and so on and so on. Essentially, really any church that would stand and, and say or sing that creed, we are to look at them and go, brother, sister. But there's also another level of church, and that is the local church. A local church. See, this is something I see in Scripture as well. It's like when Paul, he writes a letter to another, another church, to the church in Galatia, and he starts that letter by saying, to the churches in Galatia. A, a church is a singular body, an expression of God's people. And I want to make the point that the, the measure to which we believe that God's church is, is his family, his household of God, is probably best reflected in just how much a, a part of the local church we are. Because it's very easy. It costs you nothing to say, I believe in the church globally, but committing and being a part of a local church full of weird people, boring people, difficult people, hard people, people you might not get on with, people who might get on your nerves, well, that is quite a bit harder. See, if the global church is our extended family, then, our, then the local church, this is our immediate family. These are the ones that we are doing life with, the ones we are living with, sharing ourselves with, praying with one another, saying, hey, this is what's going on in, in my life. These are our closest brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, the, the Christians we share values with, particular beliefs with. If, if, the church, if the global church is our extended family, and the local church is our immediate family. And I have found, listen, I have found this truth to be so life-giving. Because I don't know what you see. I don't know what you see when you look around your workplace, when you look around your university campus. I, I just see a, a whole load of loneliness I see a, an epidemic of disconnectedness. So, so to discover that God has established what he wanted was that he wanted to establish a family for himself. So wanted that, in fact, that he gave his, his only son so that that family might be established. Well, that means there is a community out there that's available to me of all people. A community that looks like me being a brother to other brothers and sisters. And sometimes we're the big brother, and sometimes we're the, the little brother. And, and, and listen, that is not really something that is actually so dependent on, on age. It's a spiritual maturity thing. And it's a community that also has spiritual mothers and fathers, those that we are drawing wisdom from and those that we are entrusting ourselves to, to their their loving guidance. See, all of this, this is what I need. I need this. And also, because I'm in Jesus, it's what I am called to be connected to. 
See, in this household of God, there are people who have love and responsibility for me, and it is what I am called to feel as well. I understand what I'm describing here. This is a lofty goal to to live fully as God's family, as the church. I mean, we're we're not there yet. We're just getting going, Grace City Church. We're not there yet. I'm seeing lots of promising signs, but I just want you to know, especially if this is your first time and you're looking in, you're going, what is this church all about? You need to know this is where we want to head. This is where we're going. So we've seen from Ephesians chapter 2 that the church is God's household, God's tribe, his, his, his people. Well, let's see what else Paul says the church is. He says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The church, the family of God, is also, at the same time, God's temple. God chooses to live where his family is. And when that happens, there is this joining together of God's people, like like stones in a structure. And the thing that's holding this structure together is the cornerstone, right? Everything rests upon the cornerstone. The cornerstone takes the weight of it all. And in the case of God's temple, it is Jesus. Jesus, our perfect older brother, is who the church depends on. And also where Jesus, by the Spirit of God, where he lives. So if this morning, if you want to be close to Jesus, you need to be joined into the same structure, into the same building that Jesus has chosen to be joined to. If you're a Christian here this morning and and you feel far away from Jesus, and and it's not because of unrepentant sin that you know, could it be that you're just not taking the church as seriously as Jesus does. The church is where Jesus is. He's the cornerstone, after all. He's in the thick of the church. He's not on the outskirts. I mean, this, this picture here is of a building full of, full of bricks and I, I know what I need, right? I'm the kind of Christian. You want to know what kind of Christian I'm? You know that, you know that old hymn that goes, um, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's me. I'm the kind of guy who in moments of madness just goes, I, I'm, I, I've had enough. This is too hard. Church is too hard. This following Jesus thing, it's too costly. It's difficult. Life is full of suffering at times. I, I just want to get out. That's what I feel sometimes. And if you're honest, you do as well. But you know what I've found super helpful? Is that if I am a brick in the, in the, in the temple of God's holy church, it's actually harder for me to get out. It's harder for me to do that self-destructive, oh, I'm, I'm out of here kind of thing, because I have this brick next to me, and this brick on top of me, and when I start to do that, people who love me and care for me and have a responsibility for me will say, well, hey, on, Matt, what on earth are you doing? 
what's going on in your, what's going on in your heart? Is there anything I can pray for you? Can I stand with you in this? And sometimes love me enough to say, this is crazy. What are you doing? Don't you remember how good Jesus is to you? And I have found the church, when it's working really well, to be so helpful in my Christian life. And one of the most tragic things I've noticed in in the last three years here in Ottawa, is when I've seen someone come into the church, enjoy the benefits of it, and then forget just how good the benefits are and, and leave. And then I, I run into them a couple of years later, and spiritually they're in such a state because they thought, I can just do the disconnected thing. And they couldn't. And I just, I look at that, and I don't, I don't say I'm any better than that. Of course not. I would be in the same place. I might even be in a much worse place. I need my Christian brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And so do you. Okay, so, so maybe, maybe the church is helpful, but just how important is it? Well, let me ask you this question. Who did Jesus die for? Who did Jesus die for? I want to read from a little bit later in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Who did Jesus die for? Well, Paul here says Jesus died for the church. Jesus dies for the church. Remember that guy I was telling you about earlier? Who, who I, I said something to uh, in my, you know, here's what the church is. And he responded with such, oh, I, I thought it was weird, thought it was maybe a bit offensive. This is what I said to him. I, I, some, sometimes in the moment, I'm not usually this provocative. <laughs> if you met me this morning, you're like, he didn't come out with anything like this in the, when, he, when he said hello. But I did say to him, well... You know, the oh, the church is bad. The church is not, not worth it. It's going to be difficult. I said, well, Jesus didn't die for you. He died for the church. I know. I Listen, I get it. That's provocative. Now, do, does Jesus die for individuals? Well, yes, in a sense. Does, does Jesus die for everyone? Again, yes, in a sense. But we see here that what Jesus loves and what he gave himself for was the church. The end goal of all that Jesus did is not that you would be this little disconnected, autonomous little Christian, but that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. You know that? Did you know that the church is going to be glorious? It will. Jesus gets what he wants. Now, I know, like, I care about the church. I really do. I'm a move across the ocean for the church kind of guy. I get it. And I know not everyone feels that way. Have you, have you ever heard someone say, oh, I love Jesus, but 
I don't love his church. I'm a fan of Jesus, but I really hate his, his people. Here's why that doesn't work. Because if you do love Jesus, you will end up loving what he loves. And Christ loved the church. If you love Jesus, you're going to feel the same way about the church. You just will. I mean, this is what we see with the disciples, right? Let's imagine you're there, and let's imagine that you're one of them 2,000 years ago. You're there with James and Peter and John and, and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You're there. You're in the inner circle, and you see all of Jesus' miracles, and you see the Romans come and take him, and you see them nail him to the cross, and then you see him resurrected from the dead three days later, and you hear his call on your life to go out into all the world and, and tell them the gospel. What next? How do, how do the disciples go and obey that? Well, when we read on, don't we? We read on in the book of Acts, and we read all these other New Testament letters, and we see the answer. Jesus' inner circle goes and starts churches. They start churches, and that is what they do relentlessly for the rest of their life. It's what they live for. It's what they suffer for. Very City Church, it is what they literally die for. They get into their, into their bones the fact that Jesus came for the church to establish for himself his own family, to build a holy temple that he might live with his people forever. And they look at that and they say, that is so beautiful. That is so worth it. I'm going to give even my life, every, every last breath I have for this beautiful church because Jesus will have what he wants he will, have his, he will present to himself on that day, when Jesus turns, he will present to himself his church holy and blameless and without any spot and without any wrinkle because he will be glorified. The church is so beautiful when it is working right. And I, I know, I know I'm speaking to a room of people who... Many of us have backgrounds wherein the church has not been beautiful. I know this. Maybe, maybe your experience with the church is actually one which has been quite ugly um, and quite painful. And I get it. And you need to hear again, I've said it a few times this morning, we are not a perfect church either. We will let you down. Right? I've got five more minutes of preaching, that's plenty of time, okay? I can let you down in five minutes, maybe a few times. We're not a perfect church, but the, the answer to all of that is just not to just forget about the church and be done with it. Because that's the easy way out. The answer is to read this and trust that Jesus' work is not done yet, but he's the one who's doing it. He is the one who is purifying and sanctifying and building the church to be holy and blameless, to end up without spot or wrinkle. Even if right now it's messy, listen, Jesus is faithful. Whatever we do, whatever I do, Jesus is faithful. You know what? The church is the most exciting place to be. 
Trust me, I just, I, I know I'm, I, get, I said this last week, saying it again this week. I am stood in front of a, a bunch of people. Some of you did not know Jesus when we first met, and now you do. The church is the place where the gospel of God goes forward and changes. People get saved. People get freed. Oh, this, and, and the church, if you're sat in the church and you're involved in the church, it's the, it's the front row seat to just seeing how God's grace gets a hold of people. And, and they were like this, and now they're like that. It's amazing. This morning, what I want us to do is to step into feeling about the church increasingly like Jesus does. How do we love the church like Jesus does? It's going to be different for all of us. For some of us, it's as simple as that person in the church who keeps on trying to get a coffee with you, but you've been kind of going, ah, no, maybe another time. Maybe. You've, you've actually got to go and say yes to that person. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in. I'm going to share some of myself with you. I'm going to let you know who I am. For some of you, it's, it's going, you know, I'm, I'm going to join a life group. I'm going to commit. I'm going to be a part of people who I'm going to pray for, and they're going to pray for me. Maybe it's just time spent praying for the church, praying for the leaders, praying for life group leaders, those leading serving teams, just going, God, would you build your church? Jesus, you have said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Build your church, King Jesus. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And pray in prayers like that. Oh, pray like that, please. We need that. For some, it's going to be a case of actually just putting quite literally our money where our mouth is and not just saying, oh, yeah, I love the church. I love the church. But actually going, you know what? I am actually going to love the church in a way that costs me because Jesus loved the church and it cost him. It cost him his life. That's what we are called to do ourselves. And maybe it's, uh, you know, you, you guys said it in the last few weeks. Gift, a gift day is coming up. We want to establish the foundations of this local church. We want to pay rent at the Shore Center. We want to make sure we have good coffee so that people who come in who don't know Jesus know, oh, I'm in the room full of people and they're all Christians and I don't know any of them. Ah, this is scary. Oh, look over there, a coffee bar. I know what to do. I've, I've walked into a coffee shop. And I'll go and I'll grab a cup of coffee and someone will say, hello. And that, that is the first step. That's what we want to do. And so if you're like, I love that idea. I've seen something of the beauty of God this morning. just want to ask again. First week of, of April, we're having that gift day. Be praying, God, how would you want me to, to invest in this local church? In Ephesians chapter 3. Paul talks about the mystery of Christ that is revealed to the church in the apostles and the prophets. See, the gospel is, is given to the church to steward. That could be an entire sermon on its own. And here we go. We're going to do <laughs> bonus sermon number two. Let's go. Um, no. There are, in fact, there's so many things about the church that we haven't covered. We haven't talked about baptism we haven't talked about church eldership, church membership, church discipline. At some stage, we will get to all those wonderful good gifts from God. A part of the mystery of Christ that we are going to enjoy. In the-